Hi, welcome to Waterstone Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've tuned in to join us today to study God's Word. Here at Waterstone, we exist to help people become like Jesus and live for others. What this means practically is that we gather together as one body to seek God's heart for justice, to serve together, and to connect with one another as the body of Christ. We hope that you'll join us for one of our weekend services soon. We gather on Saturday nights at 5 p.m. and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We look forward to meeting you in person, and we hope that you enjoy today's sermon. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and has in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The The word word of of the the Lord. Lord. Tonight, the final candle of Advent, the Christ candle, in remembrance of the gift God has given us in the person of Jesus. God has revealed himself to us, taking on flesh and bone, to come dwell among us so that we might know him, and be brought back into perfect communion with him. Through the birth of Christ, we bear witness to the unfolding of God's plan of redemption, and we celebrate that God has fulfilled his promises through the sending of his Son.
Merry Christmas. This morning, we're mindful of, of our warm building and the relative calm on our streets. And so our minds go to many places around the world where this morning our sisters and brothers are not able to worship like we are worshiping this morning. And so we thought it would be good if one of the next turns of the service would go to the streets of Bethlehem in Palestine, in the city of Jerusalem, and the country of Ukraine, war-torn, ravished, suffering church and people. So let us take just a moment of quiet, and would you lift up your hearts in prayer for peace for these war-torn areas. Let us pray. O Lord, hear our prayers. By your grace and for your glory, Father. By your grace and for your glory, Son. By your grace and for your glory, Spirit. Godhead, three in one. As it was in the beginning, is now, and forevermore shall be. World without end. Amen. In the end, our lives are stories. And so one of the traditions we have at the Christmas Eve services here is to share good stories with one another on Christmas Eve. So I've got one for you this morning. We're going to reach back all the way to the last millennium. Thought that, that would get a laugh. Um, <laughs> from an old radio show. And kids, on the way home, ask your parents what radio is. It's from a show called Prairie Home Companion. It's called Truck Stop. It's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon. Florian and Myrtle Kresbach left for Minneapolis on Tuesday. A long haul for them. There are no spring chickens. And it was cold and raining. And he hates to drive anyway. His eyesight is poor and his 66 Chevrolet only has 47,000 miles on her, just like new, and he's proud of it. But Myrtle had to go down for a checkup. She can't get one from Dr. DeHaven or the doctors in St. Cloud because she's had checkups recently from them, and they say she's all right. She's pretty sure she might have cancer. She reads questions and answers on cancer in the paper and has seen symptoms there that sound familiar. So when she found a lump on the back of her head, and noticed blood on her toothbrush, she called a Minneapolis uh, clinic and made an appointment, and off they went. Florian put on his good car coat and a clean Pioneer seed corn cap. Myrtle wore, wore a white dress so she would be safe in Minneapolis traffic. 
He got on Interstate 94 in Avon and headed south at 40 miles an hour, hugging the right side. Her clutching her purse, peering out of her thick glasses, semis blasting past them, both of them upset and scared, her about brain tumors, him about semis. Normally, she narrates a car trip, reading billboards, pointing out interesting sights, but not now. When they got beyond the range of the Rise and Shine radio show, a show they've heard every morning for 30 years, they felt awful. And Florian said, if it was up to me, I'd just as soon turn around and go home. It was the wrong thing to say. With Myrtle and the mood she was in, and she was expecting him to say it, and had worked up a speech in case he did. Well, of course, I'm sure you would rather turn around. You don't care. You don't care one tiny bit, and you never have, so I'm not surprised you don't care now. You don't care if I live or die. You'd probably just as soon I died right now. That'd make you happy, wouldn't it? You'd just clap your hands if I did. Then you'd be free of me, wouldn't you? Free to go off and do your business, wouldn't you? Florian, with his 66 Chevrolet with 47,010 miles on it, wouldn't strike most people as a candidate for playboyhood, but it made sense to her. 48 years of marriage, and she had finally figured him out, the rascal. She wept. She blew her nose. He said, I would too care if you died. She said, oh yeah, how much? You tell me. Florian isn't good at theoretical questions. After a couple minutes, Myrtle said, well, I guess that answers my question. The answer is you don't care a bit. It was Florian's idea to stop at the truck stop. He thought coffee would calm him down, and they sat and drank a couple of cups apiece, and then the pie looked good, so they had some, coconut cream and lemon meringue. They sat by the window, not a word between them, watching the rain fall on the gas pumps. They stood up and went out, got in the car. Then he decided to use the men's room. While he was gone, she went into the ladies' room, and while she was gone, he got in behind the wheel, started up, checked the side mirror, and headed out on the freeway. <laughs> Who knows how this sort of thing happens? He just didn't notice. His mind was on other things, and Florian is a man who thinks slowly so he won't have to go back and think it over again. He was still thinking about how much he'd miss her if she was gone, how empty the house would be with him lying alone in bed at night, and all those times when you want to turn to someone and say, you won't believe what happened to me, or did you read the story in the paper about the elk in Oregon? And she wouldn't be there for him to point this out to, and he turned to tell her how much he'd miss her, and she wasn't there. <laughs> the seat was empty. You could have knocked him over with a stick. He took his foot off the gas and coasted to a stop. He hadn't noticed her crawl into the back seat, but he looked and she wasn't there. She hadn't jumped, he would have noticed that, wouldn't he? He thought of the truck stop, and he was a good ways from there, must have gone 20 miles. Then, while he, when he made a U-turn, he noticed he wasn't on the freeway anymore. There was no median strip. He was on a Highway 14, whatever that was. He drove a few miles and came to a town called Bolivia. He never knew there was a Bolivia, Minnesota, but there it was. He went into a pure oil station. An old man was reading a Donald Duck comic book. Florian asked, how far to the interstate? He didn't look up from his comic, but he said, oh, that's nowhere around here. Well, it must be, Florian said. I was just on it. I came from there. 
Oh, he says, well, that's a good 10 miles from here. You want to go back east on this road, and when you get to the Y in the road, keep to your left. It's about two miles the other side of that old barn with the red man chewing tobacco on the side. On your left, you'll see it. Florian drove that way and never saw the barn. So he turned around to head back to Bolivia, but Bolivia wasn't there anymore. It was getting on toward noon. It was four o'clock before he found the truck stop. He had a long time to think up something to tell Myrtle, but he still had no idea what he was going to say. But she wasn't there anyway. The waitress said, you mean the lady in the blue coat? Florian didn't remember what color Myrtle's coat was. He wasn't sure exactly how to describe her, except real mad, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's the lady in the blue coat, he said. And she left here hours ago. Her son come to get her. Florian sat there and had a cup of coffee and a piece of apple pie. <laughs> Can you tell me the quickest way to get to Lake Wobegon from here? Lake what, she said. I never heard of it. Can't be around here. But it was. Not too far away. And once he got off the freeway, he found his way straight home, although it was dark by then. He saw his house. His son Carl's pickup was in the driveway. He couldn't see facing the both of them at once. So he parked on the crossroad and sat there, just beyond Roger Hedlund's farm, where he could watch the house. It was dark, except the light was on in the kitchen and one in the bathroom. He turned the radio on. The preacher was talking about sinners who had wandered away from the path, and it seemed to Florian to fit the situation. Broad is the road that leadeth to destruction, and narrow is the path of righteousness. That seemed to be true, too, from what he knew of freeways. The preacher mentioned forgiveness, but Florian wasn't so sure about that. He wondered what this preacher would do if he had forgotten his wife at a truck stop. The preacher knew a lot about forgiveness theoretically, but what would he do in Florian's situation? A woman sang, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See by the portals he's waiting and watching, calling Oh, sinner, come home. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Florian felt weary. 72 is too old to get yourself into such a ridiculous situation. He waited as long as he could for Carl to leave. And then the coffee inside him reached the point of no return. He started up the engine, turned on his headlights, and right when he did, he saw Carl's headlights come on, and their son headed back toward town. Florian inched up his own driveway. He still did not have a speech ready. He was afraid. Outside on the porch, he smelled supper, breaded fish fillets. He was surprised the door was unlocked. They never have locked it but she thought, he thought she might if she thought he was coming. He hung up his coat in the mudroom and looked around the corner. She was at the stove, back to him, stirring something in a pan. He cleared his throat. She turned. She said, oh, thank God. She dropped the spoon on the floor and ran to him on her old legs and said, oh, Daddy, I was so scared. Oh, Daddy, don't ever leave me again. I'm sorry I said what I did. I didn't mean it. 
I didn't mean to make you so angry at me. Don't ever leave me like that again. Tears came to his eyes. To be so welcome in his own home. He was about to tell her that he hadn't left her. He'd forgotten her. (laughs) Then she said, I love you, Daddy. You know that. He was going to tell her, but it occurred to him that leaving her on account of passionate anger might be better than forgetting her because of being just plain dumb. There wasn't time to think this through clearly. He squeezed her and whispered, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I promise you that I'll never do a dumb thing like that again. Myrtle felt good at supper and put on the radio. She turned it up when she heard the St. Cloud waltz. Sometimes I dream of a mansion afar, but there's no place so lovely as right where we are, here on a planet that's almost a star. We dance to the St. Cloud waltz. That night, Florian lay awake, incredulous, that she thought he was capable of running away like a movie star or something. 72 years old, married 48 years, and she thought that maybe it hadn't worked out and he might fly the coop. Amazing woman. He got up at six o'clock, made scrambled eggs and sausage and toast and felt like a new guy. She felt better too. The lump on her head felt like all the other lumps and there was no blood on the toothbrush. She said, I wonder if I had not a call down there about that appointment. Oh, he said, I think by now they must know you're all right. I love this story for two reasons. One, it's just a deep joy to be around love gone long. Being around people who've been tenderized by a 40, 50, or 60 year bout of love. It just brings to the moment a stability of life and a a, a depth of soul that's enjoyable to count on. It's something like driving through eastern Nebraska on Interstate 80. (laughs) Stay with me. If you've ever done it, you know there's these clusters of trees along the highway, tall, long, narrow trees with Uh, branches and leaves shooting out the tops. But the thing you notice is that all these clumps of trees are bent and leaning the same way, as if they've endured some storms, as if they have uh, met with resistance the winds, and they say we're still going to put out our leaves and our demonstration of our philosophy of life, which is bend but don't break. Grace under pressure a long obedience in the same direction as Nietzsche put it. Marriage is an amazing discipline. We leave the saltiness of our youth and enter into this exclusive relationship, naively thinking that just putting a ring on will dull the taste of the salt. But we know that it doesn't. We know our heart continues to yearn for something new and for someone else, but marriage has the audacity to quiet us, us, natural-born narcissists, into staying home, into, into taking from our own cupboard, into reaching to that shelf called character and saying, I choose you. Again, you 
are enough for me. The Apostle Paul described it this way, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. It's a profound mystery, and I'm talking about Jesus and the church. We're reminded that marriage is God's design. He didn't just stumble across people having different genders and say, oh, let's make up some random rules for gender and sex. No, he designed it from this way. In fact, the entire story of the Bible is a story of marriage from Adam and Eve and us and them all the way to the end to Jesus and the church and us and them. It's the storyline of the Bible and all that Paul is saying when he says, I'm talking about Jesus and the church, is that every single marriage points to the love of Jesus. And then you got it, right? You got it what he said at the end? I'm talking about Jesus and the church, which means, if you can hear this, every single person who follows Jesus is a married person married to Jesus, a covenant relationship that lasts forever, whatever, married. And that is the message of Christmas. Christmas means that God loved us so much that he went to great lengths to show it. Love gone long. He left the glory of heaven, the relationship he had from all eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he became, what would we say, an ovum, a fertilized cell, and, and, and he grew and he became a person and he lived the life we should have lived, and he gives that to us so that when he gives that as gift to us, we can be declared righteous, and then he dies the death we should have died so that there on the cross, we can be forgiven of all our sins. It's love gone long. He went to those lengths to show us his love. I'm telling you, all the way to the truck stop where we've taken some wrong turns. We have in our own desires to live our own way in our own lives, we've broken this world. Death, disease, disaster, we have broken it. And I think if we're honest with ourselves in this moment, we also know we're a bit broken on the inside too. The lies we tell, the secrets we hold, the thoughts that we would never once said aloud. We know there's something gone wrong in here too. And Jesus says, I know it all, but I'm coming to the truck stop, and I will get you home. Oh, weary one, you are welcome with me. Come home. You're all right. The first reason I love this story is it's love gone long. The second reason I love this story, and I've guess some of you would be with me on this. Isn't it strangely encouraging to hear an old married couple get iffy with each other? 48 years of marriage and she still thinks he could step out on him, the rascal. And he thinks that she would be so upset with him that she would actually lock the front door to keep him out for the first time. It almost seems 
as if in this life that the discipline of marriage is not only designed for comfort and joy, but even more, it's designed for disappointment. Oh, I thought I'd get an amen on that one. (laughs) It seems to be designed to show that no human being or no earthly situation can calm the storm that is the human heart. The Bible puts it bluntly when it says that everyone you know will disappoint you. Why? Because we're all broken. We have a curvature of the soul curved in on ourselves. We're always yearning, always hungry. All the songs that we sing when it's not Christmas, you know them. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You too sing that because every heart is a hungry heart, boss. I mean, we sing all these songs and all of them describe the churning and the yearning that's going on on the inside. And we try to, to, to stifle that yearning by the exercise of organs and glands, by the pursuit of a relentlessly good job that can provide the money, power, and prestige that we want. And we seek it in apocalyptic romance. We, see, we, we, we chase it down by getting the I look good body. And yet when we get there, it seems so elusive, we can hold it for a moment and then it's gone. And we begin to realize too that as we get older, all of it's gonna be gone. We can't keep it, we can't hold it. It's as if we're on the other side of a door knocking. We want that elusive joy and we just can't hold it. It's why at Waterstone we end every funeral with a quote from C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself a yearning which no earthly experience can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, in the Gospel of John, as you heard read, John doesn't tell the story of Jesus' birth. He makes a theological statement about it. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I find it interesting in John's story about Jesus in the Gospels that the first time Jesus and his mom appear is when Jesus is 30 years old and they go to a wedding in John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. And you might remember the story that they're there, everyone's having a good time. Weddings were big things in the ancient communities. The whole town would show up and they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mom comes up to him and says, okay, son, you can fix this. (laughs) I just think that, what a conversation that would have been. Jesus actually says to his mom, mom, my time's not come yet. Jesus. And he turns the water into wine. Now, you ever wonder why he did that? For sure, some of it was to impress the disciples. For sure, some of it was to get them thinking, if this man can play on the energy matter equation with liquid molecules and do this to that, who is this man? But I think the Toastmaster was the one who got it right as to what the meaning of Christmas is. The message is that God loves us and he wants the world to know it. The meaning is that you've got to choose your miracle, right? The meaning is the Toastmaster says, Wow, you're the kind of guy that saves the best for last. Saves the best for last. You see, what it means to have Jesus 
is that no matter how hard life gets now, and some of you walked into this room knowing during this Christmas season how hard life gets, you know that He's not only with you, but in the end, He's going to meet you in the clouds. And your best moment is always ahead of you. Always. When you meet Him. And He takes us home. Always ahead of you. Now, you have to choose, right? This whole thing about water to wine, this whole thing about a virgin birth, you know, it's, is it credible? It sounds incredulous to be able to believe that. My only gentle pushback would be this. It's incredulous to believe in anything. And you've never lived one moment of your life without believing in something. Even if you don't believe there's nothing, or you believe there's nothing on the other side, even if you believe we all got here by a bang, whatever it is, forces that never had us in mind. You either believe in the virgin birth to get the Son of God here, or you believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Choose your miracle. What I would ask you to do is think about which one most resonates deeply with the way your soul is made. In the end, we're stories. Stories of love, stories of rhythm, stories of life, stories of joy and sorrow. We're stories. And if we're a story, consider that there might be a narrator to this story. And consider the narrator writing you into this very moment. I don't know many of you and where you're coming from and what brought you here today, but consider if there is a narrator writing you into this story. He wants you to hear this right now from the heart of Jesus. I choose you to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are united at death. I choose you. Sometimes I think of a mansion afar, but there's no place so lovely as right where we are. On this planet that seems that it's almost a star, we dance to the St. Cloud Waltz. <laughs>